Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast. Big interview. Hashtag stay strong. Brought to you by the Down to Play app. So welcome to this, the latest big interview. Hashtag stay strong podcast. Uh, tonight we are stateside. We are talking to American grassroots uh, football sides from across the pond. Uh, I'm honoured to be joined by Andrew from Rovers FC, uh, Jonathan from Rovers FC, two teammates, uh, Camilo from Space United, uh, Quarantine from uh, New York International FC, a team really putting themselves amongst it on social media at the moment and getting heavily involved with all of us Brit- British teams uh, here. Uh, Kyle from the Tactical File podcast, you may see uh, a few of our people have, have um, made the the uh, digital journey to speak to Carl on his brilliant podcast. And we have Nicholas from Rovers FC. We're Rovers FC heavy tonight. So we're mobbed, guys. If they if they gang up gang up on us, we're in trouble tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, so, guys, uh, good evening to everybody. Uh, I'm just going to go to Carl before we get into the intros. Carl, can you give us a brief overview on what football at grassroots level looks like in America and also tell us a bit about your podcast. Yeah, um, I'll be, I'll be quick about the podcast first. Obviously the podcast is a a football podcast. I talked to, like you said, I've talked to many people uh, from Britain, from the United States, pros, coaches, executives, different things like that. It's uh, just kind of conversations with all kinds of people from every aspect of the game. And, uh, kind of the way that we've talked about this podcast where we just want to have a conversation the same way you'd have at a pub or anything like that um and and it's and it's just that uh i love football so the people around me and there's a lot of people that have a lot of cool stories and so that's what the podcast is and uh so if uh, you want and you got some time check it out for sure when it comes to grassroots football um there's two sides of this for me um i'm part of i've, I've played all my life um, I still play. Uh, we have a we have a team, not really in any high leagues, just kind of men's leagues, recreational stuff yep. uh, called Foul FC. Uh, we do post those on YouTube, the games, and we commentate on them. Uh, mainly just banter, uh, just but. Uh, and then I'm also a youth football coach, so the okay. grassroots side there, um, yeah, it means it means everything. Obviously, it's my career, um, and I I wish there was more upward trajectory, but. I think it's a growing and great thing that we have in America right now on all fronts. I think you're seeing a a burgeoning, you know, community and culture growing out of this. And we see it right now with social media and the people that we have in this call. So I think it's great. Fantastic. I mean, how we we hear the perception here is that uh, soccer or football in America is a massive thing up until uh, people get to a certain age. And then it seems that, people break off into the more traditional American sports. Is that, is that true or is that, is that a, a false uh, perception? I, I think that there's, I don't know that it's true or false. I think that in certain situations that it is true, yeah. uh, mainly because I don't think there's many options once you kind of leave your traditional like clubs or college is kind of a lot of people's last stop. Yeah. And it doesn't, I don't think there's enough kind of, knowledge 
uh, or opportunities to just go play after you grow out of those things. I think there are great opportunities. There's just kind of too few of them. So, but I would say that there's still love and I think it's, it's growing, but yeah, I, I think that right now we're not at a place where I would say it's, it's there yet. Uh, we, it, it definitely drops off uh, dramatically once you kind of get out of the traditional like youth setups and different things like that. Okay, we just lost you a little bit there, but I think we got the gist of it. Let's go over to uh, the Rovers FC, guys. I'll let you talk uh, us through this section. If you could tell us a bit about the club, uh, how long it's been going, what sort of level uh, you participate at, at, at in, as, in terms of uh, leagues, uh, what area of the world area, of, of the, the world. country are you from? That would be really helpful. So Rovers FC is actually kind of an older club. Okay. Um, 19, well, older in this area, 1995. Okay. Um, it actually predates me being involved with it at all. Um, it started off with a bunch of older guys um, wanting to continue their career, play amateur Sunday league. And they just kind of kept growing older and older, but they never had a, um, a flagship team. Yeah. So oddly enough, I got involved with them and I can tell you the story of a little bit later if you want um, about how I got involved with them, but we formed together a, um, a younger squad full of guys in their twenties and a couple in their thirties. But the idea was to have a flagship team with this group and we compete in ADASL, which is the Atlanta district amateur soccer league and the UPSL, which is the United premier soccer league. And it's, we just completed our first kind of full season of ADASL and we just completed our first game in UPSL. Okay. So um, a couple of the guys on the team, Jonathan and Nico, um, I brought them on so they could give you the players aspect of it. Great. You could do that guys. Let's go to Jonathan first. Um, yeah. So as, as uh, Andrew saying that the club has been around for quite a bit of time, and I was one of the few that few started around back, I want to say, in like June, early July. But Andrew can go into the history on that later. Um, as far as like how we how we started and how we are right now, it's like we started first in ADSL and then we would transition into UPSL. And what's the, the competitive difference between those two leagues? Is that a promotion or is that so? Um, kind of, uh, ADSL is more like an amateur. It's one of the oldest amateur leagues here in the state of, in the state of Georgia. Okay. Um, I can't tell you what, what year it started, but it's one of the oldest running leagues and it's full of experience, ex pro, um, potential current um, college players and such. Okay. So um, as Andrew was saying, there's a bunch of younger guys in your twenties. Uh, we, we started that league and, um, it was it was a few there was a few hiccups in there. When we, I mean, with every new team, of course, there's always hiccups, right? You have to have to uh, have to fix around there. But then it was kind of neat seeing the 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 changes we we've seen when starting ADSL into UPSL. Like Andrew said, we just completed our first UPSL game just last week. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of neat to see you know, the, the the different levels of football, you know. Uh, with different players and such, different levels that become against new players. You you learn you learn new things as you go along. 
How's the tro- uh, what's, a, what's a trophy cabinet looking like for Rovers FC? <laughs> well, is it, dust, well, is it dusty it. or is it full? Well, it's full <laughs> from from the older guys. Um, the younger guys now have to start replenishing the, the trophy cabinet. But we have a lot of trophies from the older guys. They've won the, the national tournament several times in all different age groups. So it's full, but we need we need to make it full with, with the younger in the in the bigger leagues. That's it. Um, Nico, Nico, over to you. Um, what's it like playing for a club with all that kind of history? Is it is it a, obviously it's a, a, a club with tradition uh, as such? But what's it like for you playing for uh, Rovers FC? Um, well, I, I am one of the older ones, like Andrew <laughs> said, and uh, I have 31, almost 32. And I, I, I've been playing in Argentina for a long time. Uh, I was a professional uh, futsal player. Okay. So, so I, I know what it what's mean uh, competing the highest level uh, with the training, with everything you need to take care of to, yeah. to make a good performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I come here to the United States two years ago, I, I didn't expect have this kind of uh, uh, quality players because like Johnny say, uh, jump to the ADSL, to the UPSL is a semi-professional league. Okay. And then there you can find players who are being uh, professional before. And they are kids, yeah. They have 25, 26 years old. So physically they are stronger, faster, and, and make, make you change the way you have to play. Uh, the experience I think is the most important on that kind of leagues and, and many of our players don't have that kind of experience before so it's going to be like a long path to to ensemble the, the team but I think the coach is doing a really good job on that Fantastic On to uh, Space United uh, Camillo from uh, Space United Tell us a bit about your side uh, mate, and uh, what league you play in and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, happy to do so. I'm happy also to be amongst all these great clubs, so thank you for having us. Uh, my name is Camilo. i um, the founder of Space United FC, which is a club that began in Los Angeles originally, uh, and we're just a bunch of space engineers, essentially, from the company that decided to start a club. But for me, football began way earlier. I came originally from Colombia, so I'm from South America, okay. where football is the main sport, and that's how we grew up, uh, similarly in Europe. And so uh, football has always been in part of my culture, my, my upbringing, my life. Um, later, when I moved to the United States, uh, you know, in my 16, 17-year-old, uh, uh, soccer started dwindling a little bit because of, of similar difficulties of finding support or, or the pay-to-play situation. Uh, so I started focusing mostly on school and education and eventually just, you know, college, um, but always stayed close to, to sports and football, particularly sp- playing competitively in the local leagues. Then when I started working um, in, in space at SpaceX, which is a rocket company, I was looking for a team. I couldn't find a team in Los Angeles that aligned with our with our schedules and things like that. So I decided to find a, a group of people within my own niche uh, in the in the space community to 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 start a team. And so that's how Space United began. It originally was just a bunch of SpaceX people playing together Sunday league. Uh, we were playing at the amateur level. So if you think about the soccer tiers, 
um, even below the semi pros, like Division Five, I would probably locate it at where we were playing amateur soccer at the local league in Los Angeles. Uh, started getting some, you know, some local attention and notoriety, and eventually the team opened up its uh, roster to other space companies. And immediate, immediately, we saw a little bit of our talent pool grow uh, when we were able to do so and and get um, players from other companies. Um, and, and that's sort of what brings us to today. So we have that team in Los Angeles that's currently playing in the, um, at the amateur level. And we, we're starting, I think, like similarly to what Rovers at CFC mentioned, we're starting to think about that flagship team that we can create out of this pool of players where we can have a team that eventually can jump to Division Four and even at the professional Division Three or, or two. We, the, the, we sort of leave it open at this moment just to figure out um, who wants to kind of jump on board the project. And currently we run the team in Los Angeles. And last year we have some players that moved to Seattle again to work with another space company. And then yeah. we started a second club in, in Seattle. So we're running those two clubs now. If your club has never been described as out of this world anywhere, that is a massive <laughs> crime. Yeah, I've heard it a couple of times. I can't say <laughs> I have <laughs> You score, do the players score rockets and then you all sort of talk about, oh, I know how to design one of those or is that, is that, yeah. yeah something like that. I mean, we, <laughs> we're like talking about rockets and watching space launches in half times and then uh, it's sort of like a, a good dynamic of people who are, uh, you know, working together. I think a big, a big part of the club is also to change that stigma sometimes that, you know, if you're, if you're a nerd or, or like a book smart, you, you can't be good at sports. That's yeah. something that we also want to make sure to get across, you know, the youth that there's no reason why education and sport can't go hand in hand as you grow up. No, that's fantastic. And and obviously it's a good thing that you um, concentrated on your education for a little while uh, rather than yeah. your fo- rather than your football because you've done all right at, you've done all right um, at, at it in, in the end. So congratulations on that. Uh, over to uh, the New York International um, representative uh, quarantine. So welcome to the show. Uh, lots of people listening to the Silk Grassroots uh, podcast will uh, recognise your team because whoever runs the social media uh, account has been very, very busy. You've been very busy in the last uh, few months. Um, just tell us a bit about New York. As I said um, earlier, I think the founder or one of the founders is an, is an Essex boy, so not too far away from where I am now in, in London. Essex is about half an hour, uh, an hour away from us. Uh, tell us a bit about New York and, and why it started and, and where you play your football. Yeah, so first of all, thanks. Thanks for having me and for no having the team on the podcast. It's really good also to see faces because as you said, I interact with everybody on social media, but I have no clue what anyone looks like. So it's good to, to well, I apologize. And... I apologize for my face. <laughs> this, this is why it's audio only. Oh, yeah. I knew I knew there was something wrong, but I could not <laughs> put a finger on it. <laughs> um, so to tell you a bit more about the story of uh, who we are and how we started. So obviously New York International. So we started in 2019. Um, so we branched out from uh, another club. The story goes back to 2012. But basically the idea of the club was um bringing so, like a community in New York where there are different um type of nationalities coming together and playing football because 
if you go to New York, you'll notice that there are like a lot of pockets of uh, players. So you have like the Irish, uh, piece of Patrick's death where everyone will be listening to yeah. uh, from Ireland. Um, so you have the Irish, the Greeks, um, the Albanians, like you always have, like you have really specific nationality based uh, teams and we kind of wanted to bring something different where we welcome everyone. So our team, to give you an idea, out of 30 people, we have about uh, 22 nation different nationalities. Fantastic. I am French myself. Uh, the founders are um, uh, English, Irish, and Polish uh, as well. So really coming from everywhere. And so starting in, in 2019, uh, we compete in, um, in the Cosmopolitan Soccer League, the CSL, which is the oldest amateur soccer league in the United States, uh, okay. founded in 19... Founded in 1923, oh, and um, so I think it is somehow similar to what the ADSL is doing in in the state of Georgia with Rovers FC. And um, what else can I say about this? Um, that what's the trophy cabinet looking like since 2019? I don't want to embarrass so, you if it's empty. Yeah, we we, <laughs> pulled, a, a, we pulled out a, a Leeds United. Uh, we were top of the table. Uh, COVID hit. And we're still top of the table, so we, we claim this one for the first year, and <laughs> we'll just take it home. Say we're champions. So our goal really is to start at the lowest level. So we started at, at the D4 level from the Cosmopolitan Soccer League. So the tiers are all over the place, and we can go into it uh, in a bit. But so we started at the, at the lowest level, uh, earned promotion in the first season. And we started the second season uh, last Sunday with the first win, 5-4. So we're top of the yeah, league so again. Congratulations. Uh, good time to be around. <laughs> Congratulations. So, so coming from Thanks. Europe, obviously, uh, yeah. where football is a top three sport in whichever country you go in into, what was the biggest sort of surprise? Was the quality? I know Nico mentioned that he was surprised with the, with the quality uh, that he came across coming from Argentina. Um, but yourself coming from France and, and the other guys, what was, was, was the quality of the American players a surprise? So, uh, and I'll start on this one. To me, it's, I'm not necessarily surprised because first of all, there are not that many American players that are around. It's a lot of like people coming from all over the place. Is obviously, that because you're in New York where obviously it's a pretty it might mixed be. bag it of, might be. of, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I've played in North Carolina as well, where it was a lot of South American players, uh, okay. really, really skilled and, and really talented. I think the biggest difference, at least for us, we play on turf, we don't play on grass. So physicality, being quick, being strong, makes a much more a bigger difference than being skilled. So that's kind of like one of the biggest difference I've noticed coming from France is players are more athletic overall, uh, a bit less skilled, but because it's on turf, it kind of like makes a big difference as well. Um, okay. But yeah, that's kind of like the biggest difference I've noticed. And I saw Nico already noted being like, yeah, I, I'm sh I've seen that as well. <laughs> so Nico, what was the biggest difference between Argentinian football and the, the, Amer the stuff you play in America? Obviously you can't score with your hands. Um, <laughs> well, the, this conversation, I have it a lot with a lot of people in here. Um, I, I really believe it's, it's, first of all, it's the difference between how we, um, like, in the culture of the, soccer, of the football in my country. Like, 
when you are in school, you want to be a soccer player. Yeah. You want to play football. It's the only thing you want to do. Yeah. Uh, here, they want to be an NFL star, an NBA star. They want to play baseball or even they play in lacrosse. So yeah. they have so many, so many uh, different sports in, in high school, college. And at that age, we only have football. So yeah. I start training this sport when I have four years old in yeah. a club. And I've been working for almost 15 years in the same club till I can have the chance to play in a, in a competitive, uh, uh, like professional yeah. level. Yeah. So they prepare you they mentally, physically, tactically. Uh, you, you learn how to share a, a, a locker room, how to be a, how to be a, a, a teammate. Uh, and I see that, that stuff so, so different than the way they do it in here. Uh, I see kids in our team, uh, like they, they, maybe they are not uh, uh, Native Americans, no? But they come from other countries, but they grow up here. They have that formation. So it's really hard uh, explain to them what, what means play a final, what means don't, um, don't rest when you have to keep running or, or how, how fix some stuff during a game because they, they don't live that. They don't, they don't have that kind of experience. So I think that's my, uh, my part on the team, like being the experience uh, on, this, on this team. But that's that is the main difference here. After that, they run faster than us. They are stronger than us. So the experience is the difference between that. Awesome. Thank you for that. So on to the next question. Uh, grassroots football, uh, USA style. So this question really is I'm look, what I'm looking for. And we'll start, we'll start with uh, Carl again on this one. Uh, what does it take to get... A, we, we have um, Saturday and Sunday uh, football here. So we have amateur football on both of those days, essentially. So, and there's a difference. On a Saturday, there's a clear pathway from starting your team at grassroots level and you can go all the way through to the professional game. Uh, on a Saturday, there's a clear pathway uh, with different ground gradings and or like different things like that. You can, there is a progression that can be made. Uh, on a Saturday, on a Sunday, obviously not. It's pure amateur, and there's there's a ceiling. If you play in the if you play in the the Premier Division of your Sunday league, all you can do is move sideways and stay in that sort of at, at that level. <clears throat> if you want to progress, you need to go to Saturdays and do it that way. Is that a similar situation in the US? Uh, how does it have what sort of pitfalls? <coughs> expensive to start a team? Are facilities available to soccer teams? Um, is other leagues well organized? Do you get a referee for every game? All these types of questions, Carl. Um, over to you. Um, I would say I think the easiest answer is to say no. It's definitely not the same. Um, okay. I think that in pockets there are the availability to do some things and play in some higher level leagues. Like I think you know some of these guys obviously are playing in all of these guys are playing in leagues higher than what I have directly where I'm at now if I travel two hours to Detroit um, then there's some decent level that you can play we have a we have a team Detroit City FC which is gaining some traction as far as they've 
they've gone through the ranks. They were a, a semi-professional team. Now they are a professional team. Okay. Um, but they're probably um, kind of where they may max out um, unless they kind of, which I think they've said is probably where they're going to max out, mainly because upward mobility kind of means giving away ownership a little bit of what yeah. they want to do. Like if they were to ever be um, an MLS club, they're no longer kind of the sole owners of the club. Uh, the MLS is the owner of the club. And so I think you have to be, a, like you said at the beginning, most of the clubs that are in the professional level are franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have their own, maybe sometimes feeder programs, but it only, you have to kind of be selected. It's not, it's not a very open thing where like, yeah, everybody has an, an option or everyone has a chance. It's, I wouldn't say it's very equal. And honestly, even I'll even say like all the way down to travel um, youth, which I, I, I coach at a very, a very well-known youth club uh, called National Soccer, which uh, is one of the best in the country uh, okay. for youth. Um, and it's still not even available to everybody because it's so expensive. Yeah. So it, it's a lot easier. I think from my talking to everybody, um, over in England and different European countries, it's it's so much easier just to get in the door um, and then have availability to other things. And I, I think it goes for not just the players, but creating a club is more expensive here. And then when you talk about facilities, I mean, it, because, I mean, you can look around every city in America, there's a basketball court, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't look around every city in, in America and find, uh, you know, a somewhere to play indoor soccer, somewhere to play, you know, maybe you have a field that'll have a net or a goal, I should say. And it probably doesn't have nets on it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's common, but that, and there might be one to two in, in the city and they belong to a high school and the high school doesn't make the decision whether or not they want you to be on them. That's yeah. more common here where I think it's just, there's just way more availability. Um, and we kind of don't provide availability unless you provide you know, them monetary benefit. And that's kind of where our issue lies right now is it's just not available um, enough. It's becoming more because I think, I think a lot of it has to do with how appealing we are to a foreign base where like, I think people like Nico and, you know, ex-professionals come to the United States and they bring that culture with them. And, and that helps us massively for sure. Great. So Andrew, it sounds to me as though you're involved in the, the running of your club on an, on an administration sort of side. Tell us about the costs involved in running a club in the, in the States. So, yeah. So when I started doing this back in, back last summer, I was not fully aware of all the challenges. I mean, I was open to, to the idea that there was going to be a lot of challenges. Yeah. Um, but the monetary aspect is so hard because so one, you have to pay your way into a, into a league. Right. Then you have to register your players through that league. Yeah. Then you have to play, pay for field space, jerseys, all yeah. kinds of little ex- hidden expenses, equipment. Um, but the main problem here is field space mm-hmm. because locally, at least in Georgia or Atlanta, a lot of the field space is under the guise of being a public park but it's really not. They outsource their youth programs to the, to the club teams. 
like the the youth clubs. So basically, the youth clubs run everything. They they get priority over everything, and they have it Monday through Friday all night. Yeah. So you have to find the little pockets of time to go to that field, which isn't always available. So we've had the trouble of finding field space. So we have to, we've had to train at different locations, whatever's available. And there's not really a set schedule right now. And COVID has obviously made this way harder because even some of the available high schools and school fields, they're not renting out because they don't want to, they don't want the liability of people coming in during COVID. No. So that's made it even more of a challenge. And the higher levels you go, so we started off in amateur, which is probably the cheapest way to, to start off a club. So we did that. Then we moved up a level. Well, that incurs a lot more expenses. So, and if you look at, if you do your research at the higher level you go, you can go as high as you want to go. Cause they'll afford it. Yeah. If you can afford it, they're not going to turn your money away. It has nothing no. to do with merit alone. You could start a team tomorrow and join um, NPSL or even really kind of USL. Well, I mean, look at Atlanta. Atlanta had a billionaire owner that said, hey, I want an MLS team. Yeah. Out of nothing. That would never happen in England. You can do Um, that. You can get to pretty high. You could get to pretty high up in the sort of semi-professional. As long as you play, as long as you play a year at grassroots and lots of leagues won't take you unless you've got some history, but you can start at that, at that grassroots level, as long as you can find a ground. So there's certain ground grading stipulations. It needs to have floodlights. Um, it needs to have certain uh, like stands and some kind of concrete hard right. standing around the pitch. You can do it like clubs start up and two years later, they're, they're into the, the non-league pyramid here. Uh, we call it is step six to step, one step one is our conference so that's just outside of the football league but teams you can do it I mean you just need obviously to be successful once you're in once you're into the pyramid you're not going to buy your way up the pyramid you then you then need to get yourself uh, promoted but to get into the non-league pyramid it it is only just money I mean there's some there's some really terrible sides um, in in our non-league at the bottom rung of the non-league ladder and all it is is that like you say maybe not a billionaire owner but someone's decided to start a football team um maybe they can ground share with a team that's got that's at a higher level and then they can get they can piggyback on the back of that to get into uh, the system uh, but then it's up to them after that to work their way through there's no sort of buy-ins at the, at the top level um I, I agree but to start that journey into semi-professional football it is only just money here still gotcha yeah uh, it, it, camilo you camilo you started a team at grassroots yeah. level, what what sort of what are the pitfalls and the hardships that you've found over and above getting players and 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 building the, the club? What how hard is it to actually start kicking a ball? Uh, I mean, I mean, ultimately the, the the recruiting process is not that complicated because you can always find people who are interested in football and joining a club. In in our particular case, it, it was it was sort of simple in terms of finding the people and providing uh, or filling a gap that was not there, right? And people who wanted to play football in our company just didn't have that option. And once you presented the option, people did flock to try to pay, play with us. And so from that perspective, it, you know, it's not it's not hard to find players and, and people who are interested. There, from, from the league perspective, um, 
like initially we joined the amateur leagues and, and we're happy playing Sunday league and we're happy getting out there and, and getting some exercise and getting, getting together with, with our friends. Um, I, I think once you start looking at advancing, like you mentioned, and, and going up that ladder, there's not a clear path unless you find yourself with a savvy business person that understands, well, how are we going to make this club actually successful in terms of gaining uh, financial means to make this team grow and go up the ladder. So um, there's th th that's probably like the big difference that you just have to get a little bit, play the system essentially and figure out how you're going to, uh, how you're going to get some income out of this one. Cause it, it doesn't matter where you're at. You're, the club is going to incur cost on, 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 on uniforms, on fields and things of that nature. And prices may fluctuate, and, mm. you know, depending on your location. But ultimately, I think, I, I think the key might be also trying to figure out, well, how are you going to get people interested in, in coming to the games? And, and that's where, you know, social media or marketing comes into play. Um, and then figuring out, figuring out what your message is going to be. <clears throat> and so, for for us, I think we're in the, in that stage where where we want to continue growing the team and then getting that flagship team in like yeah. uh, at the semi pro level and even beyond. Um, and so we're at that spot where now we gotta get a little more tech savvy and business savvy to figure out those those holes that we need to fill in 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 our in our ownership so that we can get educated and and figure out sponsorships. Uh, who do we need to talk to to find out? Uh, is for example, for the city, like who do we need to talk to to like get playing time at this specific field yeah. uh, on a consistent basis, and we're not dealing with schedule conflicts or or, or only having to find pockets. So so for us, that, that has been that has been a difficulty, but we we figure out that through the community base, we can talk to the, the city officials who make these decisions, and then we, what kind of value we bring to the community. And so then that value that we're bringing through education then can be translated. Okay, well, we do need a field and we need them at this time specific. Can you guys support that or make it happen? And, and so that's where we have found some, some networking to be useful and 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 how we, we bring value to the community as a whole. And um, we've right now in talks to, to, to finalize our home stadium. And so we, we found it, you just gotta get a little more maybe creative in how you approach the different networking opportunities. Absolutely. So just before we go to uh, over to New York, um, the Rovers players, um, how hard is it to go from, uh, obviously, Nico, you've been involved in quite an, an organised football situation where it'll be training at the same time and same place, presumably every week to skipping around and, and grabbing some, some kind of space to play football and train uh, at different places how much does that affect you as, as a player uh well that's really important uh the training the training is, is what you help you to build a team like if you don't have the space the time to work with your teammates it's impossible uh with the chemistry uh, uh yeah, sorry i think you've uh, with the with having to change training venues and not having a regular place uh, to do that, does that affect? I know because you guys are at quite a, a, a decent level uh, in your in your football world. So training at different venues um, and different times and different places does that affect you, or do you just get on with it? And that's just that just is what it is. 
No, the, the, the good thing is have the place. If, even if, if they are different places. For example, we train in, in, a, in our artificial grass one day and the next day maybe we train in, in natural grass. Uh, the, the only thing that could affect um, is uh, when you play in natural grass is uh, less probably you have a, a knee injury, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that's our things, uh, small things. Uh, the important thing is have the place. I think that's not a problem for us. We don't have any trouble uh, with traveling to somewhere. In the meantime, we can train in there. That's we are at this position of the club. Jonathan, do you agree with that? Um, yeah, um, as far as yeah, I agree with the changes of the fields and stuff like that. But I mean, again, there's other there's other factors involved as well, such as like getting players together. Um, sometimes organizing. Okay, guys, like, do as you guys want to go in this place or this place. Like, who's who all can come to practice tonight? Stuff like that. Weather conditions. Um, Let's see what else here. Transportation. Sometimes some of our players live one or two hours away. We can't exactly give them like, hey, guys, we have practice in an hour. And, you know, sometimes they can't make that trip. Mm -hmm. um, so the key thing is, is always the place. Because if we have the place, we can give them, it'll be easier to set up a time and give other players uh, more time in advance so they can come on out and then, you know, make sure they can make it in time because, um, work because I'm sure other players have other priorities too. They have work. Some players in school, such as myself, I'm in school. I have full time work, and you know, just family stuff like that. Family, exactly. You know, some people are married. Some people have kids. You know, stuff like that. You know, all that comes into play. So they really have to kind of pen out the day. You know, once you have a set schedule and set place, it'll be a little easier to transition and move the club a little bit at a faster place versus now. But because of COVID, you know, it's it's a little bit harder, and and uh, so yeah, I do agree with the whole um, the field place. Okay, so over to New York. Um, I don't know if it's more expensive to play uh, if you have more expensive areas to play football. I'm guessing with space perhaps being more of a premium in New York, they they managed to charge you a lot more money for it. Um, is that the case? <laughs> I don't know how much anyone pays for the, for their ground, but. I mean, we're like what Andrew said is really exactly the same situation. Basically, the big and I could go on for hours, so I will try to limit myself here. Um, the problem with football in America is like it is expensive no matter what and no matter where. So there's What's no the, such sorry, thing. Sorry, sorry to sorry to button. So how much does no, one, of course. how much would one match cost you to pay? So assume you've paid your your affiliation fees to wherever you need to be affiliated in to yep. play to play that game but how much does it cost to rent that space for two hours and to pay your match officials and and all the match day stuff how much does that cost as a ballpark figure yeah so if we go through the league to get the field it's 170 dollars okay. if we're the home field because it's 100 dollars for two hours and 70 dollars for the ref Okay. Uh, which is like what we pay. And this is... If Andrew's, we Andrew's looking like, Carl, I wish, I wish <laughs> we paid that. <laughs> yeah. Um, granted, we're playing at a, a different level. So, um, and the, the fields provided us through um, UPSL or like actual 
stadiums. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different, but I think we paid for the last game. And I think for our home games, we have to pay around $450, maybe. That's a similar similar price that we'd pay at our semi-professional level. So if if a team wanted to go and hire one of these stadiums, it would cost three hundred and fifty pounds for the for the match, and then for a team of uh, for an for the referee and two assistants, it would be another hundred pounds on top of that. So you're talking four hundred and fifty pounds for, for just before you know if you're a semi-professional player here, you probably pay your players between twenty and and fifty pounds to play for you as well. So players. Uh, get paid to play for, for at that level, even at the very first run. <clears throat> uh, so you, you're probably looking at an outlay of with players of over two thousand pounds for these teams to to play a game, which is which is pretty crazy. And that's and that's without really a lot of incoming money. Like you no. have to be creative in finding ways to get paid. Uh, these teams get these teams here probably get fifty supporters at the most, and they charge like seven pounds. For a ticket, so what's that? Seven fifty is what was that? Three fifty. So they're not making anything back. So they're not even. They're not even. Uh, they're not even breaking even. So it's tough. And, it's, it's tough here. Sorry, Corin. Uh, Corin, No, no, no. I was about to say for the ground. I'm talking about a field that has like four lines, two goals, and that's about it. If we yeah. were to play at a stadium. Uh, we would go. We would have to go through high schools or like colleges, and like yeah, we're talking about three hundred, five hundred. I've even been quoted a thousand dollars for our field. I'm like, guys, like, mm. <laughs> who do you think we are? Like, uh, we're just making money got, like that. So a thousand in. Yeah. Are you in LA? Are you in LA? Yeah. Well, this is in Seattle, but and this was for a stadium at a high school. And they talk concessions, and we're like, "Oh, that's it's sort of that's a little bit impossible." Yeah. So you have to charge your players. It, you have to charge your own players to play. Uh, you have to charge them to play, obviously. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's also that's also what we're trying to build is like making giving a chance for everyone uh, to play without having to pay for it. Yeah. So the pay to play here is is quite real, and I mean. All in all, providing uh, we provide practice uh, every week. We provide a game every week. We provide like training tops for everyone. We don't provide the jersey just yet, but for all of that, we charge a player two hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah, this is like the fee because we don't want to block anyone from being able to play because uh, not everybody is in like a amazing financial situation. And here, I mean, in New York, if you want to play whatever league, you have to. To quickly pay to join, and uh, to to finish on that, like the MLS obviously it's a class system. You need to be a millionaire, I think billionaire at this point to create your club. You go to the to the tier under the USL. I think one of the requirements is having two million cash in the bank to just open a, a team. It's pretty easy also, to obtain that as well, luck. I guess. So, and I mean, yeah, you just, fourteen million, right? Something like that. In the MLS, in the USL franchise fee oh. is like fourteen million to join in. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, Something it's like insane. that. You'd have to be a, you'd have to like, be a team of space engineers to be able to afford that. Yeah. <laughs> send them a rock. Send them a rocket. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I gotta pull together all our incomes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and some. Uh, Andrew, if you don't mind, so, I got. I, I do have a question. 
Yeah, go. Oh, my bad. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, go ahead, Carl. Um, I do wonder about this because obviously in, in England, we can use that as a reference, right? Like for an owner or someone that wants to start a club, it, it's a risk, but there's at least the reward of if, if they do well, they increase their investment, different things like that. For the group, I mean, in the United States where there really isn't that much upward mobility, um, besides just the love of the game, what kind of, what do you think makes someone want to actually start up a club or own a club or, and especially invest in a club in the United States? Um, and cause obviously there's, there's limited potential, um, unless you kind of already have, you know, massive capital, like we've been talking about. Just, so I'll just quickly jump in. I think 90% of any sponsors or people that get yeah. involved with football clubs will only do it for a goodwill anyway. Um, very little, uh, if you if you're involved in sponsoring a team at grassroots level, be it here, you know, it'll be your local plumber or a restaurant or a bar that gets involved with um, or any sort of it seems to be builders, pubs and restaurants that get involved the most over here. Mainly pubs and uh, restaurants can get the teams back in and the teams can repay their sponsorship yeah. over the season. Um, but things like right. building, building uh, like contractors is generally someone that plays in the team that. Um, they can get some tax. Uh, they can get some tax back by uh, sponsoring a team. Uh, there's some kind of um, not loophole, but they're allowed to claim that back. Um, I think it's, it'll be the same at, for for all of you guys. That if you get a sponsor in, if you have a business across the front of your shirt, it's not going to generate. It's not going to generate any sort of income for that company. They're doing it all for for goodwill, and and uh, these people uh, across the globe are obviously. Uh, grassroots heroes because um, they're just giving you money to help you run because they love football and um, and that's it. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So if you get, a, I know New York, you've got a coffee shop as your um, as one of your sponsors. So if all you guys go and buy a coffee in in the shop, if you go and buy your coffee there, then that that. <laughs> sponsor is getting some money back directly from you guys so if they give you a thousand dollars or something at the beginning of the season then if 20 fellas go and buy a coffee there every every day or once a week or whatever then they're going to get that money back pretty quick um, it's a clever way of doing it but um, I don't know how the sponsorship deals uh, work with you guys at Rovers obviously you're you're you need a bit more help or being that you've been a club for a bit longer you've got a lot more sort of supporters or a committee that's uh, got some money to help uh, run the club. So our owner, thank goodness, um, actually owns his own company. Um, and he's kind of been the financial backing. Um, we haven't really, we made the decision not to take in sponsorship right away because primarily we didn't know what the sponsorship levels or how to really, we had to kind of get our ducks in a row before we started approaching other businesses and taking money from them. Yeah. without us having a true plan as to how, what we're going to provide or things like that. So we were very careful in that. And then we just made the decision to get incorporated so that we were an actual business. And that took some time. So now we're just now getting to the point where we're approaching sponsors. Like we don't want to just give away the front of the shirt sponsor just to anybody and be mm -hmm. like, Hey, here, we'll, we'll put you on the front of our shirt for a thousand dollars, but then another company is willing to give us five grand and you're like, Oh, okay, well we just gave away our biggest 
spot. So it's kind of trying to get a feel for what's out there right now. Um, Because we do have potential sponsors, but it's all about how much and how we want to approach it. Because we don't want to go all in right away and then regret it on Mm. the backside. Yeah, fair enough. So, guys, let's get on to the next question. Thank you for, for everything so far. Um, with mental health, uh, that's a big, it's a big um, thing of ours. We look after, we, we look after, we um, work with a charity called the Mike Strong Memorial Fund. Uh, it was set up for uh, a grassroots footballer who sadly took his own life um, a year ago, uh, just over a year ago. Uh, and we set up, a, we worked with a charity that was set up for his daughters to try and get them some, um, some money when they come, when they reach adulthood to help them on their way. We have a, we have a Selk 11 charity team that we play other mental health um, related charities or, or other charities. We do that three or four times a year and it's fantastic. A really rewarding part of having this podcast, have a little bit of a profile here in, in the southeast of England, in our little corner of the world. It, it's really nice that we're able to use that to draw uh, decent enough crowds to be able to raise, you know, a thousand, uh, one thousand five hundred pounds each time for for the girls. Um, so, um, but with mental health um, on the at the forefront of everyone's heads during lockdown and and the, having the football taken away or having essentially our freedom our freedom taken away from us, um, how did it feel for you guys? We're we're still two weeks away from kicking a ball or blowing a whistle if we we're a referee. Um, but how did that, how did coming out of lockdown and kicking that first ball or having that first training session actually feel? Over to you, Nico. Uh, what's a torture? <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, because um, in our club, we're still training. Uh, we're still working hard to be prepared whenever we start playing again. Mm-hmm. Um, we just wait until the league say, okay, we're going to play it again. And uh, we have ahead a playoff at that moment. So we've been training almost for two months uh, without playing uh, like So you're allowed to games. train? You're allowed to train as teams? Yeah. Or, are you, or are you breaking guidelines over there? No. Here's how this happened. Do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the summer, we that's actually when we started our whole um, uh, team. And we were kind of in limbo. So we were allowed to train. Um, it wasn't breaking any protocols because they had already kind of opened up. Because it's different all over the United States because each state has different protocols. Well, in wow. Georgia, we were kind of one of the more open ones. Okay. So we could still do it within certain limits. Like you just couldn't have more than like 60 people out of the field, out of the field or an organized thing. So okay. that's kind of how that was. And Nico showed up very out of shape. So it was torture for him. <laughs> Yeah, so training without kind without the chance of compete of playing like official games is it's horrible. I I I hate that because you're trying to be ready to play. So yeah, uh, running and running and running and play uh, and make tactical jobs and that it's kind of boring at, at that moment. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was pretty horrible for everybody that. A bit. Uh, so, uh, Camilo, when you came out of um, of lockdown and you played that first game, 
how did it how did it feel for you guys how was the what is i mean what, what is it about football for you guys that you enjoy not just the sport and the, and the competition but obviously part of it is the social aspect part of it is seeing people that seeing people's in real life that you're not just looking at them over a zoom call or or speaking to them on 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 whatsapp or whatever whatever communication tool you use how 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 what is the what is it about football that that you love the most in that aspect yeah i think For, i think from a mental aspect is definitely that that connection physical connection with with people uh, yeah. essentially come together for that one purpose uh, i remember when when the lockdown happened we tried to stay connected we were using whatsapp that's what we used to communicate as team to make it quick but um you know we would joke about about how long this is going to be some of us were doing that toilet paper challenge where we juggle the toilet paper <laughs> yeah they made me do it they made yeah. me do it That's it. yeah so we we're just trying to stay connected and make fun of it uh but then two months happened three months and it's like okay what the hell is going on like when are we getting back and and then you start seeing the message come through as like guys messaging like man i could never experience this i need to get on the field and and like you guys were saying we're trying to figure out what guidelines we need to follow so that we can go practice within guidelines and, and it took some time um now the los angeles team finally is getting back to within guidelines practice get together and then seattle started playing a month ago and that first time we we set foot on the on the on the on the pitch it was I mean, you could see the eyes of everybody taking like a deep breath, almost like no words and appreciation for being yeah. out there on the field. Um, and for me personally, it was like a, a year of, of not being out there. So, so again, like just complete like connection with, with, with the moment of like, oh, this feels surreal after one year and um, ready to get back playing. And we've been playing now for a month. So it's been it's been uh, amazing right connecting physically with, with with players and getting their mental health back in order again are you allowed um, to go are you allowed to go into bars over there yet are you allowed to have that celebratory drink well, after a win or do you have to seattle, seattle just uh started moving to phase three which involves uh sports with uh audiences and then also from a restaurant perspective you can be in, indoors with some restrictions on, on, on how many people can be there but yeah, it's starting, it just moved into phase three, maybe like a week ago. So I think those are definitely in work. Okay. Uh, quarantine, when you when we talk about mental health, how supportive are uh, the New York international uh, guys in looking after uh, their players? Obviously, you're all, it sounds like you're players from different countries. So maybe you're away from home uh, or your original home uh, during this time in a, in a, in a strange country. Uh, lockdown and how, how did, have you guys come together to support each other? Yeah, that's a good point and something we, we talked a lot about. Uh, we did the same like challenges, like passing the ball through different screen, passing, like uh, doing the juggles with the yeah. toilet paper type of thing. Uh, I, I think for us, especially as New York was hit really, really bad at the beginning, like we're all stuck home and we try to keep the mentality of, of having the team together really supporting each other additionally to that it was our first season and we're top of the leagues we're ready to we're top of the league ready to to finish the season and, and finish with a bang and so we we put together like 
we're trying to stay active, similar to what Camilo said, like through WhatsApp, uh, really um, help each other. Like we organize like workout session through Zoom. And I have to say, we were really jealous of other states who were open and just yeah. like going on practice in teams. Uh, like for us, it was really mentally, it was really, really hard. So we, we had a strange we, situation. We tried here. to organize. Sorry, mate. We had a strange situation here with with a tiered system that basically meant some of our streets were separated into different tiers and you weren't allowed to travel from a tier four place into a tier three. And literally it could be across the road because the way our boundaries work for towns here is that it goes straight down the middle of a road. So technically you couldn't cross the street and go from one tier to a different tier. Uh, it affected our grassroots football because some of our leagues cross counties, but you're talking the difference of a mile essentially if someone lived in one place and the ground was a mile down the road in in the next tier they weren't allowed to travel for games so i think that's why um well grassroots football ended up being being uh cancelled because you just couldn't have that traveling but i guess with you guys it's, it's wider spaces and probably not so much in america but i'm guessing uh, georgia is a bit greener um oh. and, a bit, and a bit a bit prettier than than most parts of inner city new york well, if you want to, if you want to hear kind of a mental health aspect of all this, so the ironic part about it is this club would not be in existence if it weren't for COVID. And I'm talking about the flagship team if it weren't yeah. for COVID. And the reason I say that is because um, during the lockdown, um, when things were like, I was at home a lot because um, you know I couldn't go to work a lot. Like I only. I was losing hours and this, that, and the other. So I was staying at home a lot, which I'm not used to doing. Mm. And it, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and act like I had like these mental health struggles, so to speak. But like, I was like, it was affecting me on a day to day basis. I was yeah. like, all right, I need to like do something. And then um, I was like, oh, good, sports are starting to come back. But then I heard MLS have these negotiations about. Uh, when to come back and then it became about money and this and the collective bargaining agreement and I was like it started to really like grate on my nerves that these guys are talking about money when the country is basically suffering and they're talking about how many millions of dollars they want to make and this that, and the other which is all which is fine for them yeah but so then I started investigating I was like we need to start investigate investing it more in grassroots because that's at some point especially in America the corporate structure has it's lost a lot of the, the true essence of soccer. So then I started researching and this and that. And that is actually what got me in. And I was call, making calls about field space and how to do this and how to do that. And that's when I got connected with the guys from the Rovers who said, if we're serious about doing this, that they'll help out. And that as long as I take their name and we take it together. And that in and of itself is how this rover this iteration of rovers kind of came to being was through me just being so over the lockdown that i needed to channel my mental space into something positive and a project i needed a project to work on outside of the, the covid reality and that's kind of what what this whole grassroots thing did for me at least and it's not to say that i was like on the edge so to speak but it was just I mean, I think all of us, if we're all locked down, it to some degree it it affected our mental status. Like we were probably on edge a little bit more, um, mm -hmm. some worse than others. But I had Absolutely. to channel that that into to this, which is why this 
has happened? I think um, a massive fallout for the professional game here is we don't have any spectators in the ground. Uh, it really makes you realise that watching, even watching a game on TV without the crowd, you know, they put fake, they put Suck. fake crowd noise. It's crap. The football's crap, crap without um, without the fans. And you're seeing so many strange results. Like, um, uh, this is a grassroots podcast, but you look at Liverpool, how bad they've been at home this year. That's never happened. That's not happened to them for three years. And I think that's because there's no home fact. I know they've had injuries and stuff, but that crowd really drives them. And you look at some of the clubs um, that have historically done really well at home and, and they're struggling. And the lack of fans, um, not only it just makes it terrible to watch. And I think that's going to be a, a good um, outcome for our sort of non-league scene here that teams of people are going to think, why am I going to go and pay a thousand pounds plus a year to buy a season ticket for that club when I can go and pay a hundred pounds for the club that's down the road. I can walk to the ground. I haven't got to sit in traffic and, and all that. I can go and spend a hundred pounds for my season ticket a beer and a burger or a beer and a pie as, as is our traditional uh, football snack. Um, that's going to cost a man or, or a woman 20, 20 pounds for the day out. If he takes his kids, if they take their kids, it's going to be 30 pound. And it's so much more, you can become part of the club. You know, the players, you can see the players, the players will be in the pub next door to the, to the ground after the game. And you can all celebrate together. I think the professional game is losing touch with the average person, A, because they can't afford to go anymore. It's, if I took my children to, um, for Arsenal, for instance, probably uh, at the most local Premier League club uh, to us, um, that I would go to anyway. Um, Arsenal is going to cost us several hundred pounds to go out just to one game with tickets and, and all the stuff. So I think it's, the professional game, it sounds like it's doing the same in America. It's starting to lose its core it's called uh, base. Um, it's turning its back on grassroots. It's not using grassroots football to its full. Grassroots football here is massively unsupported uh, by the FA. Um, I think they've just put 16 million pounds into uh, grassroots football, but that will get that will get eaten up by the bigger by the bigger clubs and your sort of one man band teams uh, won't even get a look in. Um, whilst all of our higher level um, non league clubs have been supported and given grants and supported and then the league go and null and void their season. So where's all that money gone that these clubs have been given to help them support themselves over the season when they just null and void the season? And that's it. Uh, Carl, just a quick, um, just a quick, your point on um, on the football scene during lockdown in America. As, as I know it's hard because each everything's been different in each state, but how how, how has it sort of affected the game if it has over there? Yeah, I mean, uh, Michigan is a little bit different. We were at one point definitely heavier in lockdown, and then we, we started to open up periodically. Um, and it, it, it took its toll for sure. I mean, uh, I can speak mostly from a, a coaching aspect and kind of being around all all that, and it's just watching the players and stuff like that. It, they just needed to be together. We did so much over Zoom, and you could just see – um, more and more like discouragement as it went on, as they thought they were going to be back in. Um, and, you know, when we first got back out there and we literally had to put cone box, like boxes with cones for each player to be in 
and each of those boxes had to be six feet apart. It did not matter. Like the kids, um, kids, college kids, all of the, all the same. Um, like it was just like, Oh, thank God I'm on a field. They did not care that it was like a very bastardized version of what yeah. they'd been used to. Yeah. It was, it was the closest thing they had been to in like in months really. And it was just a, a relief. And it, I, you know, it, it felt the same way. Um, you know, the first time that we were able to just get like a, a little kickabout with friends when that was allowed, um, you know, it didn't mean anything, but it was just like, okay, like it's not normal, but it's, it's the closest we've been to normal. And like this, this feels good. And I mean, you know, for me personally, like that, that's what the po- the podcast kind of is in a similar vein to Andrew with what they did is just like, I, I, I'm going crazy. Like this is, this is my life is I've made it my life. And like, you know, I, I need to a way to like be involved. I mean, I was, I was scouring the earth for third division, you know, Ecuadorian games, if I could find them, you know, like it was yeah. whatever I could do. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, I, I talk a lot. Um, I, I love football. Uh, and I can use zoom. So let's, let's do a podcast. And that's where we went. And, and a lot of people I've talked to, it's just like, we just want to be involved. And, and I think that was the hardest thing is like, we couldn't watch, we couldn't play. And so the fact that anything is back, um, I think we're happy. And, and that's my hope is that the absence of it will make uh, a stronger push from fans and different people to really support like you're saying, like grassroots and, and local things, uh, not just the, you know, kind of the top end uh, of the sport. Yeah, I mean, they don't, they don't really need, they don't really I, need our sport. Go on, Quentin, sorry. Yeah, no, I was about to say, I, I wish that were true. I'm afraid, though, that because sports in the US is so different, in a sense, like, here, I view this as an entertainment. People go to, uh, like, a baseball game, a basketball game, a a football game, a soccer game, for the entertainment part of it. It's a show versus like what you you do. I'm sure, Andrew, when you go to see an Arsenal match, you go like... Oh, sorry, I'm a, tar- I'm a, tar- I'm a Charlton Athletic fan, but I don't think any of you would have heard of Charlton Athletic. So uh, I didn't, I yeah, didn't want to mention that. Have you, heard course, of Charlton? Right. Have you heard of them? Yeah, I mean, I follow football a bit. <laughs> uh, I know Charlton Athletic, but that's mainly because I've interviewed... Uh, Carl Davey and different people that are involved with Charlton, so that's probably a little unfair. Uh, Ex-American international, I think Corey Gibbs was it? Is Corey Gibbs that played for for Charlton? Is it Corey Gibbs? Does that ring a bell with any of you guys? No, I might have got the name wrong. He didn't play very much. He was injured all the time. Sorry, Corin. Yeah, so my point was more like i think people here in the u.s vote for the show for the entertainment more than the actual result like it's not uncommon to see people arrive 20 minutes after the start of a game uh, even for for soccer games and unfortunately like i am not sure like this lockdown the COVID, everything will transfer people from being oh i'm going to an entertainment to go to actually care about a team that competes and everything so i i've I have my reservations on like the shift that he may bring to the sport yeah. uh, here in the US yeah. because of that. Right, I agree. Go, I agree. Go, it's go just on. my hope. Is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. It's just the hope, right? 
Oh, I've, I'm, if I give my hopes, then there are many. <laughs> lots, of, lots of people are saying that they'll go and support their local semi-professional or or high-level um, non-league team. But I'm sure once the gates open for their local club or the club they support, they'll be straight back there. But you know, this is at least make it's at least making people think to see. You know, with VAR yeah. with VAR here as well. It's sort of killing. It's killing the professional game a little bit. It's terrible. It's not being. I'm a referee uh, myself, and but I don't think VAR's being used particularly well over here. Anyway, I don't know if you how it's I've seen in people in. I've seen people in the amateur leagues here in the US. I, I saw a league uh, boasting about like the use of like some sort of technology VAR or something. I was like, what? What is happening? So I I need to find exactly what it was about, but. If it's coming to amateur soccer, it sucks. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so just before we get on to the future plans, um, just chat out the teams that you support. If you support an English, if what is your favourite English team and who's your, your favourite team that you support from home? I'm a United fan, a Manchester United fan. It's pretty well known and documented that, so. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, it's Why? been a rough couple of years. <laughs> Andrew? <laughs> I, I'm an Arsenal fan, um, but locally, Atlanta United, um, okay. season ticket holder, actually. Nice one. Quarantine? Uh, Arsenal as well, uh, because... Big French uh, contingent Thierry, there. Yeah, Thierry Henry Vieira, uh, PRS these days. Uh, and otherwise, my team is uh, RC Lens in uh, okay. first. Nice. Like, yeah. yeah. The, I, uh, the Sunderland of France. I was I once... Say. I was once locked in the, um, I went to, for a, a visit at Montpellier and I, I think the, okay. stade, the stade de la Mousson, is that right? Yeah. And they yeah. locked, they locked me in a cell down underneath the, uh, underneath the ground. We had a Lovely. visit during a, during a French exchange um, trip that we were, that I was on at school and we had a, we had a, um, a visit of the stadium and they pushed me into the cell and locked me in there. That was Lovely. nice. <laughs> Camilo? Uh, yeah, I mean, I found it joyful watching Liverpool, Man City, but I also tend to uh, follow Colombian players, and so I'm having fun wa- watching Everton this season. Yeah, yeah, he's doing yeah, yeah. excellent, much much better than everyone expected him to. He's written off a little bit, but he's having a yeah. superb season. And uh, Mina as well, no? Mina, yeah, yeah. Mina, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good, uh, Jonathan. Uh, I'm gonna agree with Camilo on this one. I'm with Everton as well. Kind of excited to see what Hamas can bring to the field since he was on the bench for more than half the season. Yeah. So I'm kind of excited to see that, see what he can do, what he can really do. So, Fantastic. and then as far as the local team, I'm with Andrew too. Uh, I follow Lane United pretty much a whole lot. Actually, I'm still waiting on a season ticket, but I always go to matches uh, whenever you know time allows and work allows. So, Nico. Um, from the Premier League, I like Liverpool. I follow him. I follow Liverpool since Steven Gerrard play was one of my favorite players. Yeah, great. Is that the position? Do you, do you play central midfield? I'm original center midfield. Right now, they made me a center back, but <laughs> I'm original center midfield. The ball playing center back. I have a question for Nico. Question for Nico, really quick. Yeah. Boca or River? River play. Okay. I knew that. <laughs> You've got a Maradona poster behind you. Oh uh, yeah, this, this is my living room. I have I have a argue with my wife. Luckily, 
she likes soccer, so she let me put uh, Maradona <laughs> and Messi. Uh, in the Nico, you remember, remember that, that final uh, River Boca in Madrid? That was amazing. <laughs> that was a that that was a party. That was a party. Sorry, guys. Was that the game they had to reschedule a few times because they couldn't get it? They couldn't yeah. get it played. Yeah, they play. They play the first leg of the game. Um, Boga Juniors field. Um, they tie and they have to uh, play the second leg of the final in the Monumental in the Real Play Stadium. Um, some act of violence make the yeah, common right. ball move yeah. the move the match to Madrid. That's right. Right, our so coach is Argentinian. Our coach is Argentinian in LA, and he traveled to Madrid to watch that final just for two days. Came back. Wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He's lucky. Yeah. Which rocket a, did you take? A decent away trip, that. Yeah, an expensive one too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, guys, the future. What does the future look like for your clubs, and what do you think we'll be talking about? Um, American grassroots football in in 10 years time are we going to be in the same place we are now or is it going to progress is it going to be given the opportunity it deserves Carl I'll go first yeah I gotta I gotta head to training unfortunately but um for the clubs for from the club that I uh our grassroots club uh you know just keep playing hopefully building a culture around because we're not in a, a big marketplace where there's com huge competitive leagues or anything like that. And so, honestly, the, the YouTube page and different things like that, and hopefully, you know, pique some more interest in different things like that from casuals and different things. Um, as far as just grassroots landscape, I, I, I hope that, you know, the success of the women uh, at the professional level and then, you know, the women and different things, or the men, excuse me, um, it, it spurs things on again, like we said. I hope for these things that it grows um, and that there's more support for, you know, clubs like Rovers, International Space, uh, all you guys, um, because that's what it's about. And that's my favorite thing about, I think, the English game and European and South American is that like just the love that you can have for your local club and and like just the passion it drives by being able to attach yourself. And that's all I could ever hope for, you know, us in the United States. Hopefully it'll get there. Andrew, uh, Jonathan and Nico, where are Rovers going to be in the next five years? That's, that's tough. We're, we're uh, not even, this iteration is not even a year old yet. Um, and we, I don't know, we'll see. Um, right now we're, we're hoping to, to make our mark in UPSL, um, yeah. maybe get to a national level as far as uh, that's concerned. Um as far as grassroots soccer and in general, I think a lot of the onus is on the clubs to market themselves and, and do that because the reality is the way that things are set up in the U S they're going to jump to the, the highest. So the onus should be on all these individual clubs to market themselves through social media, make their clubs look and appeal to young people. Um, and that's been kind of one of my big things is put ourselves out on social media. So people think that we're a cool club. Even if we're just a young club, you know, fake it till you make it to some degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> marketing, marketing is a massive tool. That and if you need to to shout about yourselves, those who shout loudest get noticed, and um, that's what, sometimes what you need to do. Yeah, 
And that's, that's kind of important because you got to get people to be interested in your product. And I don't think enough grassroots teams do it. Absolutely not. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. Uh, Camilo, Space United, are we going to see uh, Space United in every state in the, uh, in the country? Yeah, so um, we have our, our big dreams and opportunity here at a grass, grassroots level is to continue bringing value to the, the community. I think that's priority number one for us in ensuring that we actually add value to the people who want to follow us, uh, both like at the education level and making sure we stay connected with schools, which, which we have done in, in certain districts um, of the country. Um, we want to continue growing and establishing the Los Angeles Seattle clubs, but like you were saying, there's opportunities in other cities that have asked or are interested in, in, in the model. Um, and then finalizing with like that flagship team that we've already been in conversations to maybe put them at a, at a national level, at, whether it is division four, division three, uh, we're still leaving that door open. We we're in talks and continuing to just focus on our mission and not only that, but align with people who folk, who align with that mission as well. Like you were saying, soccer is sometimes, or football doesn't bring a lot of money. So you have to align with people who realize that you're doing this for the community. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it for the right things, the people will come. Absolutely. Uh, we'll get to, we'll finish with uh, New York. Uh, John, Jonathan and Nico, uh, what are your goals for this season, for the rest of the season? Nico, would you take that goal line clearance to, to win the league? Or would you want to score the goal? There's a tough tackling Argentinian <laughs> centre half now. What's your option? Um, uh, well, if you ask me, like uh, we've been doing a, a lot of progress in these last months. Um, so jumping on this league, I'm really happy about do a really good uh, job in keep the club in a like a good position, like yep. not be the last. No, yep. I I know if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jump, jump at this level. I want to uh, make the club uh, play the half, half uh, table app, like being the first five, for example. Yeah. I think that is an accomplishment uh, for us, and that that's an excellent goal to keep the club in in the higher uh, position of the table. Yeah, you're definitely taking that step into a higher standard, uh, stabilizing yourself, and uh, finding your feet at that level. Is is the main thing. If you won, if you went straight up and won the league, that would be. I want to win, of course. Everything. Be, I want to win almost. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but just finding your feet, keeping yourself at that level, and growing each season, setting obtainable uh, targets is important. Jonathan, what are your goals for the year? Um. So importantly, uh, of course, I want to work on individually, but more importantly, as a whole, as a whole club, as a whole, you know. Um, build our chemistry even more through training sessions. Um, like before our previous ADSL um, season, um, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but we pretty much, you know, conquered that, that league. And then, so we want to move on to a whole nother league, whole different challenges, which is why we joined UPSL. And we've made our mark. I believe that. And I feel like we can go even more. So, you know, of course I want to, keep on training to be the best I can for to be the best player my teammates need, you know, if it needs to be a, a defender, a midfielder or on the bench or just, you know, as a water boy, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to make the, the, the club grow as a whole, you know, yeah. and just be as 
much as su successful as we can be wherever we're at. So fantastic. That's the way. That's that sounds exactly like the type of players that you you want in your team, Andrew. Fantastic. Oh, uh, <laughs> so over to New York and probably one of those teams that have been working on the marketing side and, and shouting about themselves that Andrew spoke about. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. It's fantastic. No one is going to talk about grassroots football teams unless you do it yourself. Um, what is the plan for New York over the next short, short and midterm sort of future? Yeah, it's a really short term. I'm asking Andrew to get us the fee for John Hill and from our team to the Roars. Uh, that is really, really important for us. I'm just kidding. You got, you got, you got <laughs> <a drink roll. laughs> we do, we do. Just one dollar will, will be enough. Uh, I told him, I, I told him I would do that. Um, so uh, on our end, what we what we're looking to do, I think it's um, from a pure football side. Well, like um, sports side, really looking to to grow the ladder. Uh, we want to, to improve, like we're amateur in nature, but we're professional in how we approach the game. Yep. Uh, we're trying to build a brand. We're trying to uh, really uh, have a professional approach to it. So hopefully getting to like like the semi-professional semi -professional level mm -hmm. within the next few years and join the, the EPSL, which is like the ladder uh, above us. And also, I think overall as a club, what we really want to do is just that's a big aspiration, but change the game, um, change the approach to, to football, uh, to grassroots football, uh, getting more opportunities to, to people, not uh, having to rely just on money yep. and really change the mentalities overall and, and being a voice in, in developing the game and, and making it affordable for, for everyone and, and everybody. Because there's so much talent in this country that is not being, um, not being uh, taken advantage of just because of money. Uh, issues so hopefully we can change that and make the game free to hopefully we can get some of those american footballers to use their athleticism and convert it with a ball in the at their feet instead of in their hands and then we'll have uh, a u.s uh, team challenging for the world cup no doubt uh soon if they can if yeah they 2026 can. is really what they're aiming at uh with the world cup coming uh, between the US, Canada, and Mexico. So, I mean, there's a generation. I think Pulisic was the first player to really be this guy, but there are more and more coming in a professional professional setting. So hopefully the, the game can grow also through them, uh, through having this professional aspiration that will inspire like kids and, and more younger players to participate in grassroots teams like uh, like the three of, of the teams represented today. Fantastic. Well, a great way to... To finish the interview gents thank you ever so much for your time uh i've overrun a little bit because i got a bit too excited with the chat but thank you very much for your time uh guys i wish you all the best rovers i'm sure i will be seeing you um in a in a high league in the uh, mls uh near, near or in the mls uh pretty soon new york i know we'll be we'll be continuing our chats on social media and space football benteria <laughs> and Space United, um, biggest franchise in the US in 10 years. That's the aim. The most clubs in the US. That's the aim. There's your target. Thank you. Guys, there all you the go. best. The entire space, universe. Yeah. I know. First, the first team on Mars. <laughs> That's right.
We're working on that. <laughs> Gents, have a fantastic, um, have a fantastic uh, rest of the season. And hopefully I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, gents. Hey, thank you. Bye. Keep it simple. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.